Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. Great, wonderful to see everyone today. So we're going to be diving headfirst into Joshua chapter 18 today. So very excited. We're going to be reading from the New Living Translation today. Uh, really an interesting spot in the journey of Israel, especially as we continue uh, unpacking the book of Joshua, you know, the taking of the promise, the taking of the promised land. And it's so, so very interesting how easily we could probably relate to the journey of Israel through the promised land and how they obtain it. Uh, because there's so many different, let's say like road stops that they have to stop at where God grows them to, uh, uh, obtain the promise that he's made for them. So I'm really excited for today's soap. I'm really excited how God is going to speak to us today. Like I said, Joshua chapter 18, I'm going to be reading from the new living translation. Now let's pray. Let it, let's welcome the Holy spirit and we're going to dive in. All right, father, thank you that uh, you have given us your word so that we could know you, so that we could uh, have your instruction on how to move forward, uh, that God, you challenge us challenge us through your word. God, you encourage us through your word. But Lord, uh, ultimately, we just want to hear the voice of our dad today, the voice of our dad that uh, uh, tells us that he loves us, the voice of our dad that uh, lets us know what the next is for us. And that God, uh, I just pray you give us each all ears to hear and eyes to see what you're doing inside of our lives, inside of our region, inside of our church. And that God, you would soften our hearts today to receive the seed of your word. And we ask this and pray this in your son, Jesus name. Come on, everybody said, amen. 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 Come on, stretch it out. Get ready. I know I need my morning stretch. It's going to be a good one today. All right. Joshua chapter 18. Come on. The allotments of the remaining land. It says now that the land was under Israelite control. The entire community of Israel gathered at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle. But there remained seven tribes who had not yet allotted their grants of land. Then Joshua asked them, how long are you going to wait before taking possession of the remaining land the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has given to you? Select three men from each tribe, and I will send them out to explore the land and map it out. They will return to me with a written report of their proposed divisions of their new homeland. Let them divide the land into seven sections, excluding Judah's territory in the south and Joseph's territory in the north. And when you record the seven divisions of the land and bring them to me, I will cast sacred lots in the presence of the Lord our God to assign land to each tribe. The Levites, however, will not receive any allotment of land. Their role as priests of the Lord is their allotment. The, and the tribes of God are Gad, Reuben, and half tribe of Manasseh won't receive any more land. 
for they have already received their grant of land, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave them on the east side of the Jordan River. As the men started on their way to map out the land, Joshua commanded them, go and explore the land and write a description of it. Then return to me and I will assign the land to the tribes by casting sacred lots here in the presence of the Lord at Shiloh. The men did as they were told and mapped the entire territory into seven sections, listing the towns in each section. They made a written record and then returned to Joshua in the camp at Shiloh. And there at Shiloh, Joshua cast sacred lots in the presence of the Lord to determine which tribe should have each section. The first allotment of land went to the clans of the tribe of Benjamin. It lay between the territory assigned to the tribes of Judah and Joseph. The northern boundary of Benjamin's land began at the Jordan River, went north of the slope of Jericho, then west through the hill country and the wilderness of Bethavan. From there, the boundary went south to Luz, that is Bethel, and proceeded to Adroth Adar on the hill that lies south of Lower Bethhorn. The boundary then made a turn, swung south along the western edge of the hill, facing Beth Hanorm, ending at the village of Karath Baal, that is Karath Jerim, a town belonging to the tribe of Judah. This was the western boundary. The southern boundary began at the outskirts of Karath Jerim. From the western part uh, point, it ran to the spring at the waters of Nephtoah and down to the base of the mountain be, uh, beside the valley of Ben-Hinnom. At the northern end of the valley of Rephaim, from there, it went down the valley of Hinnom, crossing south of the slope where the Jebusites lived and continued down to Enrogel. From Enrogel, the boundary proceeded in a northern direction and came to En Shemash on, uh, and on to Galath, which is across from the slopes of Adamum. Then it went down to the stone of Bahon. Bahon was Reuben's son. From there, it passed along the north side of the slope, overlooking the Jordan Valley. The border then went down into the valley, ran past the north slope of Beth Hagal, and ended at the north bay of the Dead Sea, which is the southern end of the Jordan River. That uh, This was the southern boundary. The eastern boundary was the Jordan River. These were the boundaries of the homeland allotted to the clans of the tribe of Benjamin. These were the towns given to the clans of the tribe of Benjamin, Jericho, Beth Hagal, Amakaziz, Beth Arabah. Zeremim, Bethel, Avim, Parah, Oprah, uh, Kephar, Amani, Ophini, Geba, 12 towns with their surrounding villages. Also, Gibeon, Ramah, Barath, Mizpah, Kerpha, Moza, Rekik, Rekum, Yerpeel, Terlah, Zalah, <laughs> Halif, the Jebusite town, that is Jerusalem, Gibeah, Kerith Jerim, 14 towns with their surrounding villages. This was the homeland allotted to the clans of the tribe of Benjamin. Whew. Oh my goodness. Pronouncing these towns. <laughs> oh man. I'll tell you what, each time I feel like I'm doing soap, I'm reading uh, at least 10 verses with uh, town names on them. It keeps me nice and sharp on my Old Testament, uh, uh, Middle East uh, town names. So really excited to dive into this one. 
just to kind of like recap some of the history of Israel up until this point. So right here where they're at, they have now crossed over into the land, uh, the land that God has promised them. They have gone to battle, right? They marched around the walls of Jericho and God supernaturally brought the walls down, right? Saved Rahab. After that, they lost the battle at Ai, then won the battle at Ai, right? What happens when we're patient for the victory of God, right? We're not taking a promise too early. And they continued on inside of their battles until at this point in history, most of the battle for the promised land really was behind them. And uh, we'll kind of talk about this a little bit soon, but there were still some of the enemies living inside of the land that God has promised them. Uh, and the commandment of God was to wipe out the enemies, not leave some really to wipe them out and clear out the promised land. However, they had yet to really do so in its entirety. So right here, they have set up shop. They have finally found, uh, let's say, what is it, the home for, I believe, like three tribes at this point. And then I believe it's uh, two on the other side of the river and then totally, or excuse me, uh, three, two on the other side of the Jordan, two inside of the promised land, and they're going to set up the other seven. So I like what verse one says. We're going to dive right into here. It says, now the land was under Israelite control. The entire community of Israel gathered at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle. So while there was still enemies living inside of the land, the predominant hold of the Canaanites or let's say just the uh, tribes and clans of the ites themselves, because there were so many ites inside of the land. Uh, no longer had a predominant control in the land. So now that they were there, they decided really the first thing we should do is set up the tabernacle, set up the place that we will meet with God. And I really thought this was cool because they were setting their priorities straight, right? Because uh, Fusion Church, if I'm honest with you, if we could just write, let's let's have a nice open honesty hour. I think we know we don't do fluff. We just do life together, uh, right? Messy life, messy church. Uh, if I was the governor and we were setting up our brand new land inside of a promised land, the first thing I'd probably build is a Wawa. Uh, and then second to that would probably be like a Target. And then third would probably be Wegmans because Wegmans is fantastic. <laughs> um, that's one thing I have missed since moving down to this leg of South Jersey is there isn't a Wegmans in sight. Um, I've prayed, I've asked of the Lord, I've fasted, and we still don't have one, but you know, we'll believe for breakthrough together. <laughs> um, but I like their priorities because they get here and they don't build their Wawa. <laughs> they they're not concerned about the Sizzlies, uh, they're not concerned about their blueberry coffee. Come on, somebody. Uh, they are really putting the priorities first, the first thing first, right? They build a tabernacle. Because I believe it's such a strong value that we should all have that uh, our first things always come first. And that is God, right? The Lord is always the first thing. So it is important to note that they already had a location for the tabernacle prior to Shiloh, and that's in Gilgal. So it was located in Gilgal, but it was not central to where the people's land would be. And so they moved it from Gilgal over to Shiloh. And something that's pretty cool historically, if you love taking notes, this is something that was really cool to me, is that this would really be the first permanent location of the tabernacle. Uh, since their deliverance from Egypt, right, pretty, not pretty long time ago, like up until now, you know, think about it, generations have come and gone at this point. And the tabernacle or the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of the Lord, the tent of meeting have been moving around everywhere along with the Israelites. 
And they would obviously station the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, and then build the community around the tabernacle, right? They would establish first the meeting of the Lord, and then they would establish where they would live, where they would sleep. And this is what they were doing yet again. They set up a couple towns. Not I shouldn't say set up towns. They have established this is where we're going to put our roots in. But then they made the tabernacle inside of Shiloh, which was the most central location to all of the tribes. They were making God as centrally uh, uh, center of their life so that everyone could attend the yearly services. So everyone could come out to the worship services that they had. The festivals were accessible to absolutely everyone. So no one had an excuse or a reason as to why they couldn't get there. They couldn't say, oh, that's too far for me. Well, it was just as far as the other for the other person that is, as it is for you. So there was really no excuse as to why you couldn't come meet with the Lord. Uh, and I like how they put it central. But then there was also another thing this verse said. It said the entire community of Israel gathered. Everyone came together to establish the place of worship. So there's two things I discovered just from this verse or noted from this verse that I'd love to share with you today that uh, uh, there are two things that are important about worship, right? Worship is central to everything that we do. And it's also in every one thing. No one is excluded from worship. So it being central, there's really only one place for Jesus to be, right? I can't just have Jesus on the outskirts of my life, right? He has to be in the dead center of my life because they were putting the tabernacle, the place of meeting, the place of worship in the middle and then building everything else around where Jesus would be. And I think it's an important principle to gather. This one's going to be a little bit confrontational for us today. So I hope we all, let's let's all, uh, right, let's just check like the flesh at the door just for a moment because it's just going to, it's going to pinch a little bit. Jesus is either everything to us or he is nothing to us. Oh, oh, it hurts, right? It's painful for 6.15 in the morning. <laughs> it's painful listening to podcasts later. But this is also a very true statement. Because Jesus looks at us so many times and says, I want to be everything to you as you are everything to me. He has centered so much of himself around us, caring for us, loving us, sustaining us, ministering to us every second of every day. And what he says in return is, if you want the absolute best, God's best for your life, he has to be center to our life. He's either everything or he's nothing. So to have Jesus in the far left corner of our life, well, I'll think about you sometimes, is so very difficult. And God has enough grace, mercy, and love that he allows himself to be out there in our lives until he works himself into our center. And we say, God, come have all of us, right? But uh, this carries through not only from the Old Testament, but to the New Testament. So I'm going to share a little New Testament with you to kind of help break down what I'm sharing here. Matthew 13, 44 says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. Buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys the field. Whew. Think about this already. So the first part, because it's the teaching of Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. God's kingdom is the best treasure we can ever inherit. Or as this verse is laying out, find, Right. Uh, the, the song Amazing Grace, I have been found, correct? Jesus 
finds us. He hunts us down. He doesn't just let us wander off in life. And that's the beauty of him being the center is that he helps us calibrate and recalibrate our lives until we see him and his kingdom as the treasure it should be. This treasure is buried in a field, though. And what it says in this passage is the guy, this person, sells everything. Not just some of his stuff so he just get enough for the field. Sells it all and says, I would rather rebuild my life around the treasure of the kingdom than just add the treasure to my life. And that is the principle of God's word. That's the beauty of this book right here, the Bible, the word of God, is that this is something to build the entirety of our life on, that it lays central and nothing else can compare to it. You see, Jesus points out that his kingdom is worth selling everything for, building everything around it. And this includes the good, bad, the ugly, and the beautiful. Because let's be real, while God's kingdom is perfect, his church and his kingdom here is not. (laughs) Can I get an amen from somebody, right? And that's why I love the series that we're diving into right now, right? My messy life and my messy church. Come on, it is just so raw and real to know that we can actually be messy inside of the kingdom of God and it still be central to our lives and we can still love him with everything, but it still looks like a mess sometimes, right? But there is still a good and beautiful part of the church. See, the church to me, I fell in love with the body of Christ when I gave my life to Jesus uh, and all of the imperfections and blemishes that it came with, right? Uh, Because it is one of the most beautiful places on earth. The church is meant to be the center of healing for the world. The church is meant to be the center of God's grace for humanity. The church is meant to be the center of his mercy on the earth. Come on, can I get an amen from somebody? It's meant to be the center of the presence of God inside of the community. I heard a quote once from a a really great preacher, and he said, I will tell you if revival is hitting your church or not by looking at the community surrounding your church. If your church closed its doors tomorrow and the community didn't notice, I want to let you know the church The kingdom of God was not central, center to the community that it was planted in. And that's one of the things I love about Fusion Church. Come on, hear me today. It's one of the things I love about the mission, the vision of God inside of this place, is that there's a desire for Jesus to be center here in the region of South Jersey. And our prayer, our hope, our goal is that we see the church, the mercy, the presence, the grace of Jesus center in the lives of people surrounding us and center to the state and region beyond. Yet, come on, it's messy. <laughs> it's the, the good, bad, the ugly, and the beautiful. So uh, I, I like what Jesus makes inside of this teaching when he says he sells everything yet buys the field. Now, think about that. Jesus said he buys the field. He doesn't just buy the treasure. He buys the dirt in which the treasure is buried in because this thing's dirty. <laughs> this thing is messy. There is mud. Whenever we try to dig up the treasures of God, the promises of God, right? Just like the Israelites are doing here. They're trying to dig up the promises of God for their lives. Yet it's messy. You need a shovel. You better get some boots <laughs> because guess what? Those, those nice Sunday best shoes are not going to cut it when you're trying to dig up the messy field to obtain the treasure, the promise of God for a life. Yet in the middle of mess, Jesus is the center. It's the one place he wants to live in inside of our lives. So here are the Israelites. They're inside of the, uh, inside of the land. They're building the tabernacle, the place of worship. 
the entire community comes out and the entire community is saying, this is going to be the center thing for our lives. Worship is an everyone thing. Uh, I remember uh, when I, I, I don't face this too much anymore. This is probably more of a, a, a Pastor Brendan problem than it is a my problem. This is why I love youth and young adults. Come on, my youth and young adults. Um, I remember when I was leading a church and we would have our worship, right? And I was always sensitive that on our Sunday mornings, we had people who are Christ followers, not Christ followers in the building. But worship was always a value of mine. I love, love, love to worship. There is nothing like walking into the church with the church and lifting up the name of Jesus. And just like it says in the book of John, when you lift up his name, he will draw all men unto him. And when you start to lift up his name and his presence enters the room, it, there's nothing like it. There is no, there is literally nothing like it on earth than meeting with our God. And I remember someone approached me and they said, you know, pastor, I love this church, love your preaching, love your teaching. I love the groups, but man, this worship thing, I can't stand it. Every time I, I every time I come to church, I'm just waiting for it to be done. <laughs> And if if you know me, I love honesty. I, I love it more than anything. When someone could just come up and be brutally honest, it is incredible for me. And uh, we had a robust conversation centered around worship, centered around Jesus being the center. And I remember it just came to me. I said, ma'am, if you have uh, an issue with 20, 25 minutes of worship, eternity is going to be really rough. <laughs> it is forever of worship. <laughs> now, mind you, we will have jobs in heaven. There's a lot of things in us out of eternity. However, it is all in worship to a king, which is why we want to have Jesus center here, pushing past comfortability into our worship and saying, God, we want you lifted up. It preps us for forever. And that's what I, uh, Pastor Brennan shared a while back, right? The acronym LIFE, Living Intentionally for Eternity. I want to worship living intentionally for eternity because I'm prepping myself for what my forever looks like. So the Israelites are setting the marker for us so we can look to it today. Creating the tabernacle, creating the place of worship, the center of their community, the center of their lives built on the kingdom of God. You see, then there is a challenge being released right afterwards. Joshua. Joshua, the bold man who led the Israelites into this land that God had promised them. In verse 2, it said, but there remained seven tribes who had not yet been allotted their grants of land. So it's important to know, as it said in our passage in previous passages, that the Levites would not get an allotment of land because their priesthood, their role was their inheritance. Uh, what he's saying is, hey, there's no earthly treasure that compares to ministering to the Lord. So they did not get land. However, there were still seven more tribes that had not yet gotten land. So that leaves four tribes that were planted, seven who did not yet have. Joshua at this point looks at them, right? Verse three, asks them, how long are you going to wait before taking possession of the remaining land the Lord, the God of your ancestors has given you? How long are you going to wait? When I read this, I, I hear a little bit of angst in Joshua's voice. I hear a little bit of confrontation behind him because he's looking at them. And basically, I'm going to word this a little bit differently for a sec, but he says, what are you waiting for? What's, what, what is it that's holding you back right now? Because when Joshua looked around, he saw that the predominant hold of the enemies on the land was already gone. They were not gone entirely as far as number, like there, there was still some there, but the influence wasn't there anymore. The, the army wasn't there anymore. What are you waiting for? 
Because what would have been happening is that these seven tribes were living off of the other four tribes. So he looks at them and was kind of reprimanding them and said, look, this land is not going to take itself. This land is not going to establish itself. Guys, you have to get to work. And this is a really, really good reminder for us that the promises of God may be within our reach, but that doesn't always mean they're inside of our hands. I'm going to say it again. God's promises may be within our reach, but they're not always inside of our hands because Jesus makes himself as accessible to each person as much as the other, right? There is no like, oh, the pastor is holier than us. Absolutely not. <laughs> there is no, that person has a, a special favor on their life to just access Jesus more than me. Absolutely not. The Holy Spirit makes himself as accessible to all of us as another. Now, we can speculate uh, a number of reasons why the seven Israelite tribes had not yet taken their land. Uh, one that I was thinking of, maybe just fear, right? The Canaanites were still out there. Or I should really just say the ites. There were so many out there. Uh, maybe they were just afraid that they would band together and fight back. Uh, perhaps they were just simply tired. And I don't know who needs to hear this today, but I have a feeling someone does. Uh, sometimes you just get tired of battle. Sometimes you just get tired of fighting. And it's like, how many more days do I have to fight? How many more days do I have to keep pushing? How, how much longer is this war going to last? Because I don't know if I can take any more, right? They had been nomads their entire lives. This generation is a brand new generation that was born inside of the wilderness, then occupied the promised land. Their entire lives was development to be soldiers and war. And some of us may feel that way today. And I recognize that wherever you may be inside your life, I want to let you know that God has given you a grace to take and receive the promises that he's made you. You may be tired, but I want to let you know that the promise is within your reach and he wants it in your hand. Another thing might be that they possibly just lost vision. Like, I don't know about you, uh, right? This might just be a me thing, but I have a feeling I'm not alone today. Um, if I don't see something, uh, like I'm a visual learner to the max. If I don't see something, I can't do it. <laughs> you you can write me instructions, but uh, picture books are the best books for me. Um, that's why I love my my uh, uh, like my my concordances, all the different resources when reading the Bible. I need graphs. I'm a simple being. <laughs> Uh, I'm not the most complex. Uh, if you're one of those people that you can just hear instructions and then go get it done, God bless you. You are an amazing human being. But for me, I need pictures. <laughs> and that's because of vision. I just I need to see it. And if I can see it, I can believe it. And there's something about the vision of God that when we have a vision inside of our heart of what our family looks like, of what our work is supposed to look like, of what our relationships are supposed to look like, when I have vision of what redemption looks like, there is no stopping me from getting it. I'm a bull in a china shop. Everything pushes forward to see the vision of God happen. And if they lost their vision, what does the Bible say in the book of Proverbs about vision, right? People cast off restraint. Another way of saying it is that people run wild due to lack of vision. Come on. And we can even look in our societies today. We can look in our school systems today, in our communities, and we can see absolutely... It's wild church, the things that I hear, the things that we have to deal with on a daily basis and, and you have to deal with on a daily basis just from seeing a, a lack of vision or a difference of vision. Everyone is going in different directions, scattered 
everywhere. And they've cast off restraint. And without vision, people lose drive, they lose purpose, or they start picking up false purposes. And I kind of feel like the Israelites in many ways probably lost their vision in the middle of taking the promised land. So as they're pushing in, they're getting ready to set up shop. Uh, I believe God right here through Joshua saying, hey, what are you waiting for? Was confronting them and saying, pick your vision back up and get the land that God has promised you. And I want to share with th this with you today. Um, uh, the Israelites may have lost their vision, but you don't have to. There is The Israelites may have been tired from the war, and you may feel tired today, but I want to let you know God wants to refresh and renew you today. There is nothing like being renewed in the presence of God, because sometimes just waking up in the morning is a battle on its own, and it's a war on its own. But you don't have to be discouraged in the presence of God, knowing that his promises are for you, not against you. A weapon may be formed against you, but it will not prosper against you. Don't grow tired or weary of doing good, it says in the book of Colossians, because in, in your day, in his time, you will receive or reap your reward. So I just want to ask you, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for today to receive the promises that God has promised you? Whether it be peace inside of your life, whether it be joy, whether you're believing for that person to come to Christ. You know, uh, my wife and I, uh, I, I think we're just nuts sometimes, and I love every second of it. We will sit down and just start talking about, oh, I cannot wait till God gets a hold of that person's heart. <laughs> like when God gets them, it's going to be insane. You know, uh, at youth, we, we don't, we don't call uh, students that give us issues, problem children or bad. We call them students with potential because God has placed potential inside of the hearts of everyone. And uh, we also recognize that God is only obligated to fulfill his promises, not our potential. Right. So we just recognize, we see potential, uh, and we just believe like, oh, man, that person could be the best evangelist when God gets a hold of their heart because they have no fear of man because they have cussed out eight leaders since they've been here. <laughs> right. They, they, they are running wild. They have no fear. That's what it would make them the best evangelist in the world. And God has a promise over their life and potential in their heart. and We want to believe for it. And then we always just ask the question, well, what are we waiting for? What are we waiting for to see the promise of God established inside of our lives? to receive the land he's given us. So I, I love that. And then it goes down into verse six, that uh, I think is another important principle from the passage. So first thing we talked about, right? So God is central to everything. Jesus is everything to us, or he's nothing to us. Ouch. He is also, what are we waiting for to obtain the promises of God inside of our life? And then the next thing, verse six, when you record the seven divisions of land, after you go and map the land out, figure out who has fields, who gets the good fields, make sure it's all evenly divided, bring that all back to Joshua. And it says, I will cast sacred lots in the presence of the Lord, our God, to assign land to each tribe, right? Casting lots. So I just want to share just very briefly what casting lots is, because I, I remember it probably took me like a year or two in my walk with Christ to establish <laughs> a decent theology on what this is, casting lots. Casting lots uh, back in that time period would, it, it, there was a few, actually a plethora of different ways to actually do it. Uh, you could get stones and write things on the stones, and it would be a lot like throwing dice. 
So as you would throw the dice, what it would land on would come to you, right? Uh, sometimes it'd be different colored stones, be a bunch of black stones, and then maybe like one white stone. Uh, sometimes it'd be different idols that you would throw, and depending on how the idols landed, would be the ruling of casting lots. So for example, if you remember when Jesus went to the cross, they casted lots for the purple cloak on his back, right? So casting lots was an ancient act that carried all the way through into the New Testament. So by them casting lots in this moment and waiting, hold on. So this is really cool. This is amazing to me. They waited to cast the lots until the tabernacle was done. So what Joshua was saying is when the presence of the Lord is established here, we will cast lots in his presence for him to make the decision on who gets the land. Joshua was saying, I'm not, uh oh, hold on, I'm getting signed out. Does everyone still hear me? Great. Okay, good. What Joshua was saying was, I'm not getting blamed for the land you get. <laughs> Joshua said, this is totally on the Lord. It's his promise anyway. So he's going to be the one to determine and establish who gets what area of land. Proverbs 16.33 says, the lot is cast into lap, but every decision is from the Lord. So depending on what would come out of the lots, that was a decision from God. So by casting lots, they were putting it all into God's hands. And this is also seen in the New Testament where it says in Acts 126, after uh, Judas had betrayed Jesus, had betrayed the other 11 apostles, the 11 disciples, they wanted to add someone into the fold to replace Judas. In Acts 126, it says they cast lots and Matthias was selected to become an apostle with the other 11. You see, they were casting lots for God to make a decision and for his hand to be on what he was doing. Now, then the question becomes, do we cast lots today? Should 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 I have like dice in my pocket and just start like rolling like, all right, Lord, if it land, if I get snake eyes, <laughs> if if I get snake eyes, I'll tell this person about Jesus, right? <laughs> Maybe I'll, I'll base my evangelism, base my prayer life off of some dice. Uh, I just want to encourage you today. No, <laughs> just for the, the the simple one, not at all. Um, so really, uh, this was in a practice pre Holy Spirit. Uh, I love the heart that they had as far as we make the give this decision to God. But post Acts 126, the church received the Holy Spirit, the presence of God inside of the indwelling presence inside of each and every Christ follower. So God said, I will be a part of your actions, your interactions, the decisions you want to make, but not from casting lots on the exterior, but by my presence on the interior of who you are. So we no longer have to cast lots today. We no longer have to have a bag of stones in our back pocket trying to figure it out. We don't have to come to the tabernacle or wait to get to church on Sunday morning and get up to the altar team and start shaking stones. We, we can make decisions by following the presence and the impressions of the Holy Spirit on our heart today. But I love the principle that they were establishing inside of this verse because the principle holds true to today right? Scripture, observation, application, prayer. Here's the application, church. The application is we want Jesus to be a part of every single decision we make. We don't want to just start wildly and flippantly, right, without vision, making decisions, without any sort of guidance from the Holy Spirit inside of our lives. We really want him to have the first and the final say on everything. He is Alpha and Omega. He's not just Alpha, and he's not just Omega. I'm not just making decisions and saying, God, please bless it. 
<laughs> Lord, I may have messed up, but I just pray you bless it. I'm sorry I didn't involve you at all, but God, please figure it out. And I'm saying this because, hey, hi, hello. I've done it a thousand times, right? This isn't me casting the first stone. This is me, uh, by the way, the one who's done it saying, hey, you may want to try a better way, right? Because Jesus is center to our lives. And since he is, we want him helping us guide us through, through the decisions in our lives. There's a saying I read not that long ago, and it says, uh, uh, the day we are born, we look, look like our parents, right? But the day we die, we look like our decisions. And I think this is so true in our relationship with God. This is so true to the centrality of Jesus inside of our hearts and how we're building our lives. So number one, what is it? Jesus is central. He is everything to us. And because he's everything to us, we want to build our lives. Everything we do, the jobs that we pick, right? The the discussions at the family dinner table. Uh, what happens when the annoying cousin calls us, come on somebody. Uh, we want to build it all centrally around who Jesus is, the principles of this word and say, I want to build my life on something better. So Jesus centers, number one. Number two, number two, what are you waiting for? What's holding you back? And if it is holding you back, cast it off. Because God doesn't want anything slowing us down, holding us back, right? Cast off the sin that so easily ensnares us and weighs us down and press forward into what God has for you. Because hear me, he has a purpose for each and every one of you. He doesn't just make purpose for some, he makes purpose for all. And he has promise for your life and potential in your heart. What are you waiting for? And number three, Jesus wants to be a part of all the decisions we make all day, every day, because that's what a relationship is. That's what a marriage is. And guess what? We are the church, the bride of Christ. And when I look to make decisions, I, I don't just make them. I usually say, hey, lovely wife, because it's going to affect both of us. <laughs> what should we do? Let's pray. Let's seek the face of God. Because the Lord has something for each and every one of us, and his ways are the best ways for us. Can I get an amen from somebody? All right, so come on. Let's pray, because I believe that God wants to show us how he can be more central. Show us what may be holding us back, because so many times the crown is waiting for us, but we just have to get the courage to wear it. And then also how we can get him into the center of our decisions. So, Father, thank you for each and every person here today. Holy Spirit, I just pray, uh, Lord, whatever may be holding us back today, uh, whatever may be discouraging us, maybe discouragement, uh, maybe not seeing the change that we've been longing for uh, inside of us, inside of our lives, maybe the workplace, maybe our marriages, relationships, uh, maybe we're just not seeing it yet. But God, I just pray that you would give us uh, courage today to wear the crown as a, a king's kid, as sons and daughters of a king, knowing that change may not be here today, but it's on the horizon. That God, we know that the promises are in reach, but Lord, show us how to get them into our hands. Show them, uh, show us when we come to prayer uh, to meet with you, that you have presence, joy, peace, kindness, goodness that you want to show us when we meet with you. And God, we just tell you right now, you are central to everything because you're so worthy. You are so worthy to be a part of our decisions. You are so worthy to be the dead center 
not the outskirts, not the second thought, but the first thought in every decision we look to make. Because Jesus, you're worthy. Jesus, you are worth putting our lives on the line for. So God, I thank you for each and every person here. We pray this and ask this in your son Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Come on, church. God bless you. Have an amazing Thursday. I hope that uh, uh, the Lord really encourages you today and that if you're not yet living in promise, start living in that promise. Come on. All right, y'all. I'll catch you. Have a great day.